the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous Saturday. This is Al Fadi, and if you're tuning in, this is our podcast, Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with Al Fadi. And uh, this is really a continuation of our first week of the sixth season. You've heard me correctly. We have finished our fifth season two weeks ago, and this is the second show, uh, or I should say the third show in our sixth season. Uh, Today is October 19th. I'm just going by memory. Obviously, I'm recording this in advance. And this is one of uh, another one of those when I'm recording while I'm driving. I like to call it Talk on the Go. And uh, last week, I talked about uh, that the major differences, uh, or I should say the background behind why we have differences between the so-called Sunni and Shia. And uh, basically, I built a foundation as to when this split between the two branches took place. And uh, just to recap, it was the year 632 AD when the Prophet of Islam passed away, died, and technically speaking, instead of having members of his household, as the tradition is typically, to assume the political leadership. Obviously, uh, Islam never taught that uh, whomever came after Muhammad from his family will assume a prophetic leadership as well. No, the idea is who will become the uh, successor, the caliph after Muhammad to assume the political leadership of the newly established Islamic State that uh, the Prophet of Islam uh, basically established in the last uh, 10 years of his ministry and his life, for that matter, when he migrated from Mecca after serving there for 13 years as a religious Uh, leader or a prophet only, Uh, and in the last 10 years in Medina, he assumed also an additional role, that's the political role. You can say he was the uh, uh, basically the emperor or the caliph de facto, uh, because uh, uh, the caliph, meaning a successor, uh, they succeeded him, and they tried to continue along the line of what the messenger of his Islam has established. So, in the year 632, a split took place between two camps, his relatives, who were the minority, if you wish, and his companions, who represented the majority, and the disagreement came uh, in terms of who would succeed him politically, and the majority party, if you wish, uh, uh, his uh, companions, ended up winning the vote 
How so? They won the vote by voting one of their own to be the first caliph. Then uh, that was Abu Bakr. He served for two years from 632 until 634 AD. And then they voted after his death the second caliph from the companions. His name is Omar. And Omar served for uh, a little over 10 years. And then after he was assassinated, and that's the beginning, basically, of theological differences and the beginning of civil war within the community. After his assassination came also the third caliph, Uthman, who served uh, close to 13 years um, between 644 and 656, basically. And then after that uh, came uh, the, uh, and he was assassinated. Then came the fourth caliph, who happens to be the cousin of the messenger of Islam. His name is Ali. And this is the first time we have a relative of the prophet of Islam who assumes that political office. And Ali, believe it or not, is what the Shia argued from day one, that he should have been the first caliph. So you can see now why there is this theological, I mean, uh, a political split. When Ali assumed office, things got even worse at that time. For instance, the second wife of uh, Muhammad, his youngest wife, Aisha, whom he consummated the marriage with her when he was 54 years of age and she was nine years of age, she waged a war against Ali and uh, uh, with the, uh, uh, the assistant also of the uh, Umayyad, um, uh, also who were Sunnis. And uh, the battle ended up uh, basically, um, uh, you know, causing more split, uh, theological split and political split between the two parties. Uh, Ali uh, supposedly won that battle. It's called the Battle of the Camel. And um, a few years later, Ali himself was assassinated. Then came his oldest son, Hassan, who ended up actually being assassinated. And then came his youngest son, Hussein, who also was tricked into going north to modern-day Iraq for a meeting and was surrounded by rebels and assassinated. And that triggers today uh, what we know as Ashura, which is the... Ten holy days of the first month of the Islamic calendar, the month of Muharram, from day one until day ten, the Shias celebrate that basically by flogging themselves publicly, bleeding themselves to atone for their failure and their sin in letting down Hussein and also for to please him and to seek his intercession on their behalf. Now these are just generic, I, uh, you know, backgrounds right now. I'm not getting into the weed of things because simply I don't want to confuse you with so many technical things. Nevertheless, that's the background. So, that leads us forward now. After the, uh, basically, uh, the first four caliphs after Muhammad ended the reign of the so-called the righteous caliphate, came another dynasty known as the Umayyad, which is a Sunni dynasty that lasted for 90 years from 661 until 750. AD. Then after that came the longest lasting Islamic caliphate or dynasty, which called the Abbasid, believe it or not, it's the uh, 
uh, uh, it's a union of many caliphates, majority of them were Shia, actually. But at that time, uh, you know, there was open-mindedness, many writings about the Prophet and collection of hadith and biographies and and also commentaries and so on and so forth thrived. And, uh, uh, you know, the wealth uh, reached its maximum level, and that's the era that is known as the Golden Age of the Islamic Caliphate. And that ended by the Mongols in the year 1254 A.D. After that, the Mongols served for at least two centuries. Then came another Islamic dynasty that rose uh, at least for a short period of time, led by Saladin, and he he was a Kurd, basically. And then, uh, you know, after Saladin came also the Ottoman Empire, the second longest, uh, basically, or longest-lasting uh, I should say, Islamic dynasty that ended uh, in World War One in the year 1924. The year 1924. And that was basically the end of the Islamic Caliphate as we know it. And since then, there has been this desire to reestablish the Islamic Caliphate by multiple groups. For instance, The Ottomans tried, and they could not really hold on to it. And then the Muslim Brotherhoods came, and they tried, and they could not do anything about it. And then in modern day, we have someone like bin Laden and Al-Qaeda who tried also, and they could not hold to it. And then finally, we get ISIS, who tried it for a couple of years from 2014 uh, until their uh, complete collapse uh, in 2019, or at least uh, whereabouts, at least that's what we're being told, the caliphate has collapsed. That doesn't mean the ideology behind resurrecting the caliphate uh, have uh, uh, been decimated. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing. Why do we care about the concept of a caliphate? Because remember, it's something that Muslims believe will ensure a continuation of the tradition of the prophet and will also ensure... Uh, the establishment of an Islamic community that is ruled under the Islamic Sharia law, the constitution of Islam, per se. And uh, that concept will allow Islam also to continue to spread globally. Nevertheless, how does that apply to what we are talking about in terms of the split between the Sunni and the Shia? We'll see what happened. ISIS is a key here to understanding why ISIS came into play in the first place. After the removal of, uh, after the second Gulf War uh, and the removal of Saddam Hussein from office, Iraq, technically speaking, from a population standpoint, is split 50-50, give or take, give or take, 50-50, between a Shia population and a Sunni population. The Shia population automatically gravitated towards Iran as the holders uh, of, or the keepers of the Shia branch of Islam, where the Sunnis, of course, will gravitate towards something like Saudi, for instance, who are the uh, keepers of the Sunni faith, although the Muslim Brotherhood could be argued as another uh, also power that tries also to interfere typically when it comes to the Sunni theology. All that to say is that that the removal of Saddam Hussein, who was basically a Sunni uh, president, gave the Shia basically now, for the first time after 30-plus years of his reign, Saddam's reign, the ability to assume power. And obviously, who do you think is going to support them? Iran. 
And Iran looked at that as a golden opportunity to extend its influence throughout Iraq instead of just portions of Iraq. The southern part of Iraq is historically uh, known to be a safe haven for Shia theology. There are many holy cities in there. Shia usually do pilgrimage over there to visit some of these holy shrines, including the shrine of the uh, youngest son of Ali Hussein and many other uh, imams and leaders in there, of course, who have died in the past few centuries. And they believe that you go and you pay him a visit. These are saints. You can pray to them and ask him to intercede and interfere on your behalf in heaven, technically speaking. Nevertheless, now Iran sought the opportunity to basically expand its influence in Iraq. Iran has already been having its influence in Syria, even though Syria in general, population-wise, is Sunni, plus some minority uh, Christians, uh, you know, most come from uh, Roman, you know, Catholic and other Orthodox uh, backgrounds. But then you have a minority Alawite branch of Shia that is basically in power, represented by the Assad, uh, basically, family, and uh, today it's the Bashar Assad after the passing of his father uh, before him. Uh, and uh, therefore, um, uh, the Bashar Assad is considered by Iran to be their strong allies. Now, of course, Syria is a strategic in terms of its location. Now, that's why you have Iran and you have Russia always jump into the rescue and the help of uh, Syria because they are only basically... Uh, Mediterranean Sea, so they have a, a naval base in there. They can have access from sea. Uh, they're strategic in terms of their location in the vicinity of Israel, uh, also between Europe and Asia, uh, closer to, uh, technically speaking, uh, Turkey. Uh, they are close to Iran. They are close to Russia. And at the same time, they're strategic in terms of the fact that they kind of like in case, uh, you know, if Iran extends its influence from Iran, through Iraq, all the way to Syria, you create a fertile crescent, of you wish, of a Shia influence that encases south of it, encases the Sunni influence. And as a result of this, not to mention, of course, Hezbollah in Lebanon is the militant arm of the Shia dynasty in Iran. So Iran, technically speaking, have that arc, uh, arch, basically, or the fertile crescent-looking, uh, basically, area in the Middle East that allows it to have that influence. Out of fear of that, ISIS, and I don't want to get into politics of who established what, was planted there. There was a lot of players and a lot of actors that got involved in that, ISIS was planted strategically at the northern part of Iraq and the eastern part of Syria to form the caliphate. And the idea is that ISIS will be the buffer zone that prevents Iran from extending its influence. So that it was thought that that's what's going to happen. And the war took place and many actors were involved. The Shia were involved, the Sunnis were involved, a lot of fighting taking place. And continue till this day, basically, there is this tension that is taking uh, shaping in the region. So when Iran noticed that they are at least unable to uh, extend that influence easily, that's when they went south through Yemen and 
began to strengthen their presence there, taking advantage of the weakening economy and the September, uh, I mean, I should say, and the uh, Arab Spring and so many other things that led to the fall and the collapse of the Yemeni president at that time, Ali Abdullah Saleh. And uh, that allowed the Shia rebel, the Houthis, to begin to rise with the support of Iran. The Saudis, knowing what was going on, basically from their intelligence, they began their bombardment uh, campaign in 2015 to curtail this attempt by Iran. So you can see that there were a number of proxy wars that were taking place. North, there was a proxy war in the Iraq and the Syria region, and also a war against Hezbollah and now war against the Houthis. The Sunnis and the Shia have been definitely going at it since 632 AD. Let me repeat again. 632 AD. 14 centuries ago, this tension has been taking place between the Sunni ideology and their supporters and the Shia ideology and its supporters. So all that to say, I find it really delusional when people talk about finding a good deal to try to fix the problem. You may have temporal deal, sure, and you may have to do deals that will curtail some of this tension, but to say that you can eliminate this theologically and religiously based tension, it is absolutely impossible, evidenced by the fact that it lasted for that many centuries and will continue to last. I wish I can tell you there is a solution to this, because the Sunni power believe that they are the beholders of the true Islamic faith, and the Shia feel exactly the same way. They believe that they have been robbed of their power at the dawn of Islam. And at the same time, they are the representative of the true version of Islam. And with that comes religious leaders who will end up issuing decrees and edicts and fatwas, allowing both parties, religiously speaking, to fight, annihilate one another, and split this community and that's been the case. All that to say is that we know, based on this, as to why Iran today is becoming bolder and bolder and bolder in terms of its aggression. Now, I am going to withhold explaining at least the backgrounds behind this uh, boldness from a end times ecclesiastical I should say from, um, uh, from, from a, an in-time uh, standpoint, from uh, basically, um, uh, you know, uh, pr prophetically speaking, there are so many theories out there based on the book of Revelation and the uh, prophecies in Daniel and other books in the Bible that somehow what we're seeing right now in the Middle East could be the beginning or maybe even the fulfillment of some of these prophecies. Now, you know, obviously, prophecies are very complex. There are theories. We can only attempt to understand what's going on. There are certainly signs indicating some things that are happening, but I am always hesitant to say definitively that that's indeed what is taking place and what will happen next. But we can only rely on the Word of God to see some signs of things like this 
that might be shaping up and taking place in there. So we will talk about the, uh, you know, uh, that part of things, the apocalyptic uh, side of things, basically at a later time, maybe next week. And uh, we'll see how we can tie in times, in times, into uh, basically um, the the idea that Iran is being aggressive now. And why is Iran aggressive? And why is Iran, for instance, is uh, evidently, as you know, everybody's noticing, is actually asking for war. They are doing everything possible to cause a war. They're really seeking to have the U.S., for instance, and its allies launch a war against them. I mean, at, at first glance, you look at that and say, I mean, are the leadership of Iran that naive? I mean, uh, it's obvious that their economical situation is in dire need of uh, support and uh, intervention. And even if they have super uh, military power, how long that would last, for instance? But if you begin to uh, add a theological underpinning to all of this, only then you will develop a better understanding of the situation, and you will begin to understand this zeal that is being exhibited in there, especially by the Shia dynasty, in hope of waging a war. Now, I see that my time is almost approaching an end, so... I want to leave it right here until next week when we can talk about the uh, effective end time in terms of the Shia theology uh, or on the Shia understanding of things and also how that plays out also from the Sunni understanding of things and how did ISIS also perceive themselves to be a fulfillment of end time Sunni theologies as well. So. Uh, it is really crucial for us to understand theology when it comes to areas like that in the Middle East. We always think of, in terms of Western thinking, that it's a military-only strategy versus a religious strategy as well. Now, with that in mind, I want to also uh, remind everybody that you can go to my previous show, for instance, from last week, to our website, sirainternational.com. That's C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A international.com. And you can go to our section about Let Us Reason, and you'll be able to listen, not just to my previous show, but to all of our shows from day one. You can also listen to it on iTunes. You can listen to it on uh, uh, Faith Talk Radio, uh, for instance, their own uh, you know, website you can access from there. You can go to Omni Studio. There's so many other platforms that you can do this. I also want to encourage all of you to go to our uh, YouTube channel, CY International. I encourage you to subscribe so that you can receive notifications of many of our wonderful new video series that are being published and released. And you can also go back and watch many of the previous videos that have been launched already in a variety of series. We have theological series, apologetics, we have evangelism, and we have uh, historical criticism and textual criticism series as well. All that to say is that we encourage you to become also a partner and a supporter. Uh, You can support us through Patreon, or you can support us through PayPal. We thank you, of course, for your efforts to be partners with us, and we thank you for everything that you have been doing and for uh, praying for us and standing by us. If it wasn't for you, by the way, if it wasn't for your help, if it wasn't for your partnership, I doubt that we would have been here uh, for the last five years. So I'm so thankful for your faithfulness, for believing in what we do, 
But we pray also that you would take the many material that we have, and obviously you can go to the list of shows or the log of the previous shows. We have titles. That will enable you to narrow it down quickly to what you need. And we are also in the process of considering to group these shows as well into categories, but that's still in the works. So thank you again. Uh, once again, we remind you to go to our YouTube channel, Sierra International, subscribe there, become a Patreon patron, give as little as $1 if you want, or as much as the Lord put in your heart, or even give through PayPal. All of that will help us to stay on the air and to produce many of these podcasts and also the videos that you will be watching. Until we meet again, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.